Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. Once again, we've had an interesting pre-show conversation about (laughs) royalty and the queen. And does the queen make money? (laughs) That was the question of the day, yes. Uh, So it's, it's really funny because I felt like there were quite a few... Fairly large news stories in gaming this week, so mm-hmm. it was almost it was difficult to to kind of choose one out of the kind of three really big ones this week. So yeah. we're gonna probably talk about a couple of the other ones next week um, because obviously the the Bioware news, the article from Kotaku, that's the big news this week. So we're gonna focus on that. That's probably gonna be quite a discussion. So mm-hmm. um, some of the other news pieces, we're gonna have to hope that nothing big breaks next week because we have a lot even just from this week that's going to get pushed so yeah it was a busy busy game uh, busy busy week in gaming but ryan what did you actually get into this week in terms of playing games because i mean i already know and i have something to say about it but <laughs> sure uh so i got early access to the elder scrolls blades which is a new ios and android game in early access Uh, It was announced at last September's Apple event, and it kind of, you know, when they announced it, they said, oh, but this is Elder Scrolls on on your phone, on your mobile, on your smartphone. Yeah, it's not like a new, it's a, yeah, an Elder Scrolls experience. In El- yeah, a true El- build yeah. as a true El- El- Elder Scrolls experience, and it- and they said it would be free. So again, when you hear free, you think, wow, clearly there's something else to it. It's not just free. Nothing's free in the mobile world. So, but they never announced what that free-to-play mechanic would be. Was it energy? Was it in a- in microtransactions? Was it cosmetics? Yada yada yada. So. It got delayed. It was supposed to come out by the end of 2018. It got delayed, and it just suddenly I got an email saying like, "Hey, Blades is ready," and then you had to actually register either way. So it was weird. So I got the email. I was really excited to play because I was like, "Oh, I want to check this out." And I had tweeted like, "Hey, I finally got in. Can't wait to try later." And then I think a day later, I tweeted like, "Oh, this isn't good, guys. This is not a good game. It's so pretty you- not great." You called it early access, but is mm. it actually early access or is it just like a slow rollout, I guess, to keep their servers up? Because I didn't really get the impression that it was like like alpha or beta early mm. access, like a lot of games are that use that kind of tag. I got the impression that it was like, if you sign up, we'll give you access to download it so that we don't overload things like we're putting it out in waves. Yeah, I think it. I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't think it's a beta or an alpha, but there are features that they are looking to add down the road, like necklaces or rings. Whoa. Yeah, it's really great. So, I mean, I kid. Uh, not about that. That is actually true. Necklaces and and rings are coming later uh, in a, in a patch of content that no one's looking forward to. But I think like. Um, in terms of early access, they have said they're trying to gate access so they don't have a flood of people because a lot of people were looking forward to playing this mm-hmm. and they did announce that they have a million people who have downloaded it. I don't know if that means there's a million people who are playing it, but um, a million people. A million people tried it anyways, which is a lot of interest for a mobile title day one. Yeah, so they and they have stated, if you look at their Twitter, they are inviting people and I got in, I think, the second day after it launched. So it wasn't a long wait for me. 
you just have to pre-register at or register at the Bethesda site and basically they send you an invite and you get in. So it Well Yeah. Oh I'm still not in. You're still because, not in because uh no, and I think it's because so I have a Google Pixel and when I registered it was um like when I did the drop down for because you have to choose your device. Mm-hmm. And so when I did the drop down, there was the option for like the Pixel two and two XL and three and three XL, but no option for the original Pixel, which my phone's only two years old. So I thought that was a little bit crazy. So I had to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the list, and the list ha- had to have forty or more phones on it. And I just scroll all the way down to the bottom, and then just choose other. But oh. then there was no like option to to like fill in uh, another um, box and say like what my device actually was. So I feel like I'm probably just in a pile of others right now that they think are probably not um, up to snuff when it comes to, like, I guess, technical specs to run the game, Mm -hmm. which probably means it's going to run poorly on my device if I'm not on the list of, like, supported devices. So they probably don't want me in there because they don't want me to say their game is, you know, bloated or big or slow or, you know, whatever. Uh, So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to get this. I, I don't think this is going to be made available to me, whether this is early access beta or just early access in their like slow stages of rollout. Either way, I don't think I'm going to get access in yeah. any way, shape or form before it's just available to the general public. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like, I think I'm here today to report that even if you had access to it, I don't think you would like it. I don't I don't like it. It's really not a great game it's not the experience you're looking for when they say this is an elder scrolls experience it is not because in my mind it's not the music's great but the story is it it, there's no story to it like you just show you Mm. you're someone suffering from amnesia you come back to a town and the town is destroyed and then these people give you quests to go kill goblins and you know chase after some queen or something i it's it doesn't feel like an Elder Scrolls story to me. It feels like standard fantasy, you know, one-on-one. You could be anywhere. It doesn't feel like, yeah, got it. It it feels like Tamriel in the sense that the music, really great, spot on. They kept the Elder Scrolls feel in the music. And I think that's the one thing kind of tying it, as well as some of the sounds, like as you loot something, oh man, that sounded like I looted something in Skyrim. Mm. So they, they do nail the aesthetic of Elder Scrolls and the music and the sound design. Uh, but other than that, like, and the enemies. Yeah, so what about the gameplay itself? Like, does it yeah. feel like, does it have the, I guess, uh, like talent trees and all the kind of complicated combat where you can basically like build your character how you want to build your character? Yeah. Does it feel like that? Well, I mean, so you, at the very beginning, you can create your character and you are able to choose from the six different races. You are able to change out your facial, uh, your, your the way your character looks. You can choose between male and female. You can name your character. So that's all there. And there is a skill tree and it's split into three. There's magic, perks, and uh, skill. So skill is more like melee focused, shield and sword type stuff. Magic, okay. of course, is your magic spells. And then perks are more things that kind of give you, you know, lasting passive abilities. Like you can absorb more damage or you're more stronger with swords or whatever. Stamina increases, whatever. Yeah. And then every time you level up, you choose between magicka and stamina. So you're mm-hmm. not increasing your health. You're increasing your, your stamina or your magic. 
And when you hold the phone, depending on, and this is another really cool feature of it, one that I was really impressed with when they unveiled it, was the fact that you could play in portrait or landscape. And the switch is seamless. Uh, and all the UI snaps into place. It's really cool. I really love the way they, they had implemented that. And you kind of yeah, that your, was one of the big kind of selling points yeah. that they had of it that you could play it in landscape or you could play it kind of one-handed portrait because I remember that was the big selling point for the that Mario game too, right? Is that you could just hold it one-handed and mm -hmm. and do stuff, and this had the ability to be both. Yeah, so it's really cool, and the and it controls a little different depending on where how you're holding. So I'm playing on the phone, and I tried it on a tablet as well. Uh, and when you're holding it portrait, you're sort of tapping to move kind of like a, you know, like a dungeon crawler as you're like, Oh, I want to tap over there. I want to loot on that. I'll tap it. Uh, and then if you're landscape, you do have the virtual, um, joysticks to, you know, move forward and look around. And mm -hmm. then again, in portrait, you can look around by holding on the screen and kind of moving your finger, uh, which way and what, and combat is all touch based. So you're not swiping, you're holding, and then a little circle fills up, and depending on when you let go, you'll either not do an attack if you do it too early, you'll do a crit if you hit it just right, and then you'll just attack normally if you wait too long. So there's a bit of a mechanic there, but the holding and tapping is not satisfying. It kind of mm. feels a little like Pokemon Go combat, where you're kind of just like tapping Oh, yeah, you just sit there and tap, yeah. Yeah. Is it like, so... You mentioned that you could have like swords and you also had magic mm -hmm. spells. So do you have to like switch between that or is does it have its own kind of tap or something? So like how how do you use how do you wield both? So you you do you are you are able to wield both. So I've been playing right now. I have a sword and a shield and then I have two or three skill moves and then I have two or three magic moves and those are little icons above the stamina and magicka bar and you just tap them to do one so one of them i has is uh one of my one of them i have is a dodge and attack move so there is active combat in the sense that you can see the person you're fighting and if they go to attack you i can hit my dodge and attack and i'll move back dodge the attack and then my character will come back in and do a slash so that well like, it's kind of good yeah that's something else that is very iconic of the elder scrolls series is that like in all of their games even, you know, um, ESO and, and just all of their everything up through Skyrim in terms of their single player content is always like active combat. It's not like locking on and then just hitting a rotation or anything like that. It's, it is very active. You have to mm -hmm. move out of the way of abilities. You have to aim your abilities correctly. So at least they, they got that feel and it wasn't just like mm -hmm. I hit this enemy and then. Well, you are locked on. Tap. <laughs> you know, you're locked on and. You're, you are facing one-on-one, -on -one and if you don't use your spells, you are just tapping and holding and then mm -hmm. maybe hitting the shield button once in a while to, to block an attack. The magic seems to work in the sense that you, you, can, only, you can only get it to hit if, you're, if that person doesn't interrupt your spell. So you kind of have to strategically find an opening to get your spell off, or you can use your shield to block, that will stun them, and then you use your magic. So there... There is some strategy there, and I do appreciate it. And sometimes when I was going through the dungeons and getting into the more advanced quests and combat, I was starting to think like, oh, maybe maybe this combat is kind of growing on me. It's no, like, my sort of bar for combat of an action game on, on mobile 
was Infinity Blade. That series really set the bar for how combat should work in in an action game uh, on mobile. And I don't. And most of most action games do often copy that active style. But Elder Scrolls, they've decided to kind of try their own thing, and that that is it's certainly uh, enthusiastic of them, and I, and I think they got close. Um, I felt as I unlocked more skills and magic, I was feeling a little, oh, this is getting a bit more active. But it's it's the other problems with the game that kind of bring it down, because it is, again, mm. it's a free-to-play game, right? So you're waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, okay, what is, so far Ryan hasn't talked about what that is. Yeah, what's the, what's the, monetary, what's the monetary model they're using? So it's probably my least favorite implementation, which is the chests and time to unlock uh, mechanics. So you find these chests in dungeons, and then you also earn these chests through uh, quests, completing quests, and they have varying, you know, uh, levels of, you know, there's a normal one, which takes five seconds to open. You have to literally like click on it, wait five seconds, it opens, it gives you a bunch of garbage and you move on with your lives. Then there's silver and gold. Silver takes three hours and gold takes six hours. That's the maximum I've found so far. You can only open one at a time. And that basically is the mechanic of like, oh, you can open it right now if you use gems. Um, gems. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, gems are paid. So there's your gem system and your chest system. Uh, but then there's also a town mechanic. So you're building up your town that's been you know, burned to the ground, so you're building a smithy. Oh, it uh, takes... So that takes 12 hours to build the building. It and... takes 30 seconds. Well, I mean, you know, eventually, I'm sure, when you're you're in the end game and you're trying to, you know, uh, build giant buildings, it's going to take a long time. Right now, it's, I think, it's the like, maximum um, I've seen is a half hour. Oh, my God, that one that we played the crap out of years ago. The the Simpsons uh, tapped out. Yeah. It's... That's the one I'm thinking of. That, like, at first, when you're, like, building houses and little, like, buildings and stuff, it's like, okay, this is going to take, like, 30 minutes. And you're like, okay. And you go to, like, build the, I don't know, Quickie Mart, and it's like, okay, that takes 24 hours. You're like, ugh. It's like all the stuff early on has super short timers so mm -hmm. that it gives you a chance to really get into it and and get hooked and then it slows you right the hell down unless yeah. you pay to instant build things yeah and there's like crafting but the crafting takes time too and you can rush that so like i crafted an axe it took Ugh. five minutes and it's like well i can go do a quest and come back or i can just turn the phone off and come back like but that well okay so does it feel i guess probably doesn't even feel all that rewarding to leave something to build or craft or whatever and then go out and do a quest when you don't even get the quest reward immediately right yeah, then because yeah. then you then you get your quest back you turn it in you get a, a chest and then that takes time to unlock too yeah and if you do so multiple quests point, in a row like you now have your entire loot sitting there this could take days to feel the the reward of what i just slogged through right like that's yeah. not fun Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that in here. There's a lot of this wait, wait, wait. And then also on top of that, I was playing and it's like, hey, legendary offer, pay us $10 and we'll give you this orange sword. And I'm like, okay, guys, whoa, dinner and a movie first. And then let's talk about offering me the $10 sword. You know, <laughs> I don't need you coming at me with the free to play. And I, I understand it's free. I understand you got to pay for your game somehow. However, this 
this these experiences are are why people are so adverse to mobile games and why i was excited by the apple arcade prospect in that the apple arcade is is encouraging more people to have paid experiences as opposed to free to play experiences and i kind of think what would elder scrolls blades have been if it was sold as a ten dollar product like Mm -hmm. it 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 wouldn't have had as much free to play in it. I'm sure there still would have been some of those mechanics, like, you know, buying gems and buying well, items I mean, and stuff. But yeah, even if you look at um, the civilization port over to the iPad, mm-hmm. that was what, $40, I think, to buy mm-hmm. it on mobile. And uh, tons of people did. And it was basically the PC game, but available on tablets. And it went over really well. Lots yeah. of people bought it. Like, that's kind of what I would like to see out of the Elder Scrolls now. I mean, I would I would probably expect to pay maybe half of that for something that's available on my phone as opposed to a tablet, just because, you know, like, you're probably going to have to cut some systems, you're going to have to tone down some graphics and things versus what you'd be able to offer on a tablet. But I would still pay 20 or 25 bucks for an actual Elder Scrolls experience mm-hmm. on a phone. Yeah. But I don't want to pay it in a free-to-play model because I don't want to encourage the never-ending payments right it's not like i could just say i'll give you 25 dollars and you can just turn off all of these mechanics it's like no that's literally how the game is built you could they want you to pay 25 dollars 800 times (laughs) well that's the thing is like i think sometimes when i go into a quest in this game and i start to have fun i'm like okay this is this is okay this is kind of fun i can see what they're doing you know the 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 ability to switch from porch to landscape it is really cool and you're able to switch on the fly again i can't it's really neat it's worth experiencing however like when you're right when you finish a quest you get that reward it's like well i i guess i'll come back in three hours like the game actively encourages you to shut it off and Mm -hmm. come back and i know i imagine if you're not getting your loot from questing and you can't craft or at least like you don't get that instant item Mm -hmm. then eventually you're probably gonna run into like quests and enemies that you just can't defeat because you don't have the rewards of the gear or whatever from the earlier quests so you kind of get you must get to a point where you have to stop right well i'm i'm right now at a point where the main story is they have so each quest there's like varying degrees of difficulty and they range from one skull to five skulls and right now i have a quest that's four skulls and i'm getting my you know um it's a mobile game, so you're paying like three quarters attention to it, you know, if not less. So I I die quite quickly because I'm kind of like focusing all over. Like I'm sure if I were to look at it and really focus, I would have been able to get through. But it's saying like, oh, you should come back when you're a higher level. It's like, well, that means I got to go kill. There's a recurring quest that keeps popping up to go kill goblins. So I just have to keep delving in and killing goblins. It's like that's, again, that's not fun. The, the story yeah. stuff has been quite has been okay because it's varied content you're going in you're experiencing new encounters new enemies new dialogue um but like it's it's not really anything you'd write home about slam on yeah and then to slam on the brakes and say oh no you can't do this go kill goblins 10 more times and then you can think about doing this like that's yeah it seems like they're slamming on the brakes in all the wrong places and i can see myself getting 
really frustrated well, with it really quickly. <laughs> yeah, like, am I going to keep playing a- after this episode? Maybe a little bit, but not to the point where this is going to be my new jam. Like, I, I was going to say, yeah, this isn't going to replace Fire Emblem no, for no, gaming time. <laughs> no, this this is, and, and that's the other thing, too, is it's, it's not even quick. Um, quests last about, you know, you know, five, ten minutes. But it's, again, it's very involved. That's why I kind of like Fire Emblem Heroes is I can I can play a little bit and then I can feel safe shutting that phone, the screen off, and I'll come back to this in a bit. Like, I'm not feeling like if I come back, I'm going to ask what the hell was I doing in this game? You know, mm-hmm. in, in Blades, it's, you, you get a bit lost because the, the environments are not as detailed as I thought they would be. Um, and I played both on a tablet. So I have an iPad Pro. I played on the Pro. And then I also played on my phone, which is a fairly new phone. And on the tablet, everything looked really not great. Like, it looked bad. Uh, even worse, when you go to talk to people, like... So just... it didn't look like they had actually, like, up the graphics or anything no. when, when tablet like it looked like they just stretched the phone experience it felt that way yeah and i mean i have the old pro so it's not it's maybe like two years old but again like it's the pro it's that's what it was built it was kind of built as like this high-end machine and yeah when you play it kind of feels like xbox 360 graphics um which i know i'm not, I'm not to expect current gen graphics but it's almost like maybe even like a mix of ps2 and ps3 like kind of right before the ps3 era it just doesn't feel great and um and then on the phone when you're playing like some of the environments do look decent uh they're phone like but you know decent and then but again like when you go and talk to someone the character models just look so washed out and blurred it's just it's it's not i've played better and i've played better looking games on mobile and i just think you have to play to your platform, uh, and they did that with the combat. They did they they did that with the skills and and bringing a lot of that Elder Scrolls feel over. They did that, but then with the graphics, I think they um, they didn't they didn't really they did they tried, but it just doesn't fit. You know, it doesn't fit yeah. the platform to me. That's um, super disappointing. Like I knew it was going to be free to play, but like not to the point where it's just it's timers upon timers and loot boxes and i'm just like ugh, guys come on this is a bit much well if you're looking for an elder scrolls experience you Mm. can jump into eso with me again i that's what a lot of people are doing and i'm tempted because i I think it's on sale yeah and well it's because right now it's the uh five-year anniversary of uh eso and the 25-year anniversary of just elder scrolls so mm. it's like all of the stars align and uh yeah so and the new expansion comes out june 4th so i've decided because you were talking to me about blades and then i was like well i can't play blades because i have an old phone and so i'm on like i i don't have access to it so i'm like you know i'm gonna boot up elder scrolls online again and i'm gonna you know see what i'm doing over there and i was like you know what I really want to just have a character ready for the start of June. So it's it's literally, I think the launch day is June 4th. So it's mm. like literally two months from today. And I'm like, you know what? WoW is kind of winding down. We don't know when the next raid is coming out, but it's either going to be kind of like August or maybe September-ish, I think. So I'm like, yeah, I might actually be able to find some time here to 
get into ESO and level up a character to max level and kind of be ready for a new expansion when the new expansion comes out. Mm. So, cause it's, it's a whole big, like, um, Oh, I don't need I, I event, I guess it's like the, the year of the dragon or whatever. Like there's a, it's, hmm. there's a lot, they're doing a lot in game. There's a lot of events, a lot of birthday things and stuff. So, and ESO is, is free now. Right. So, right. Or, like, you have to buy the base game, but there's no uh, required subscription. So, <laughs> I, I signed up for the subscription again. Wait, didn't you, like, cancel it after having it for 11 months? <laughs> I did. It's, I swear to God, I have subbed and unsubbed from ESO so many times that I had, like, more um, of the crowns, which is, like, their in-game currency, then I knew how to spend in the shop. <laughs> like, I bought a whole bunch of outfits. I bought some mounts. Like, the one thing I didn't buy was um, the player housing because you can actually, like, own a home in ESO. Oh. So I didn't buy a house. I Even if I'd bought a house, that would have only been, like, a quarter of my currency. So. Why didn't you buy a house? <laughs> re oh, no. in in Elder Scrolls or something. <laughs> Matt's in the chat room putting his, his face in his hands. But... So <laughs> could have bought a house. You could have but put all your mounts up or something. So because because I so because I want to actually try to experience all the ESO content, mm -hmm. I resub to the game because by resubbing to the game, you get access to all of the um, all of the DLC. So which is separate from the expansions, to. right? Right, yeah. So there's uh, two expansions. There's the Somerset uh, Isle expansion and the one that I don't remember the name of that's Morrowind. coming out in two months. Oh, well, Morrowind's the first one they did, right? Right, wrong. yeah. So I guess there's three expansions because there, yeah, Morrowind <laughs> was one and then there was the Somerset Isle one because it was the High Elf story and then, yeah, then there's a new one coming out in June. So, Which is Dragons. Uh, but then there's, then there's DLC that is like... Um, added things like uh, the crafting guilds and dungeons and hmm. different like classes and things all got added through DLC. So you don't have to buy those when you're sub to the game. So you just sub to the game for, I think it's like 18 bucks Canadian a month, which is cheaper than a WoW subscription. Which is and... crazy to think about out loud. That that's how much <laughs> subscriptions cost. Netflix is like, <laughs> actually, Netflix is now close. Netflix like, is up there now too. It's like yeah. fifteen bucks, uh, man. But yeah, so it's uh, so yeah. Then you get because each of the pieces of DLC, I think, is approximately, and I might be getting this totally wrong, but it's um, I think about two months of a sub. Or like depending, because I think you get like two thousand crowns a month, and then like the DLC is like four to four to five thousand crowns, I think. So you could just buy so, the DLC if you didn't want to resub. Yes, hmm. you could. You can, yeah, you do have the option, but that's like the big perk. So basically, when you sub to ESO, you get the equivalent number of crowns that you would if you spent twenty bucks in the store. Mm -hmm. So you get that crown amount, and then also access to all the DLCs. So. And then there's like exclusive uh, mounts and cosmetics and all kinds of stuff that you can only buy if you're sub to ESO. So I think I have Morrowind. I didn't get Somerset because I don't remember why. Somerset came out last year or was it two years ago? Yeah. No, it was last year. I think. Oh, so they're doing yearly expansions. How do they do that? Yep. Mm. 
<laughs> I don't know. How, how do you make content yearly to get people to come back and give you $40 every couple of years? How does that work? I yeah. don't know. Blizzard, I'm not but, working for Blizzard, but I'm just saying, how does that, how do they, how, what do they do? Yeah. That? I don't know. But, um, uh, but yeah, so the, the new expansion is coming. So I want to, so because of you, it's all your fault, Ryan, because you were true. talking to me about Elder Scrolls today and I couldn't play the thing that you were playing. So don't I was play like, Blades. I'm going to go not. play the thing that I can play, which is ESO. So. You, you made the smarter choice. Getting, yeah, I've been getting all kinds of emails about all of the like events and stuff that are going on with all these different anniversaries that are happening. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to log in and I'm going to get my bonuses for logging <laughs> in and I'm going to see what's going on in ESO and it's as awesome as ever. So Good. I'm yeah, going to going to get back into it and level up a, a character all the way cuz I think I literally I've started I have like six characters on my account that are all between level 3 and level 6. And then I have one character that's like level 20 <laughs> and the max is like 50 or 60. I just, I keep starting new characters for some reason. So not to go down a rabbit hole, but I mean, we're already in the hole. So yeah. like, let's, 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 let me ask this question. So I have Morrowind. I think I barely scratched the surface on Elder Scrolls. I think I played in beta. And then when I bought Morrowind, that's when I got the whole package for Morrowind and, and, uh, and Elder Scrolls online. So should I, if I wanted to, so let's say Blades, not a satisfying Elder Scrolls experience, just throwing it out there. Should I <laughs> buy Somerset and play that experience or should I just jump back into Morrowind and see if it sticks? Like what does Somerset, does Somerset give me like new characters I can roll? Like new classes and stuff? Um, or is it just content I, like levels or Yeah, uh, I don't believe that somerset came with a new race or character the new racing or the new uh character class that's coming with the expansion in june is the necromancer right. so that's gonna be new but the um i can't i don't think somerset actually added another class to the game um and they don't add new races to the game because all the races are were included right from the get-go so you have all the normal Elder Scrolls races, all the, the different kinds of elves and humans and mm. the Khajiit and the Argonians. They're all in there right from the start. So The cat people. The cat people. Uh, so, yeah, I I think for you, mm -hmm. if I were you, because they did that one Tamriel update that we talked about, I want to say, like two or three years ago now, um, that update that kind of put everybody onto one server that allowed you to play any race in any faction. Like you still have to choose a faction. You still have to choose a race, but they're not locked like they used to be as well as they implemented scaling tech, like what wow implemented as well, where you can go to any part of the world and it scales to your level. So you can kind of like create your own story. There's a lot to see in the world now that isn't locked behind like levels and stuff. So I would say, um, like you can you can buy the Somerset expansion because I know that's what I did because I love the high elves I always have. Hmm. So I really wanted to to play through that high elven story and see that content, which you can do with a level one character. Because even though it's an expansion, because they have the scaling tech, you can just go straight there. So I would probably take a look at the story of Somerset, but if it doesn't like smack you in the face as like, this is exactly what I want to do then I would just, you know, pick a zone, whether it's Morrowind or whether it's the original ESO content and just kind of go from there, see if you like the combat, see if you like the experience of ESO, period. And then decide if you want to spend more money on the on Somerset and on the new one coming out. Mm -hmm. No, that sounds... I mean, I, I think I'm 
Because it sounds like you still have you have a ton of content. You don't probably really don't need to spend the money. I've got so. tons of content. I might even have some doubloons or whatever the hell they call them crowns, crowns somewhere crowns, in there. Yep. <laughs> I think I had a month, and then I, even even that month I subbed to, I I didn't spend it. I do, I I don't know why I didn't spend it, but um, it's probably still sitting there. Do yeah, you gain they interest? Just, they just sit there. No, no, they just sit there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I'll have to go check that out. I need some Elder yeah. Scrolls. I think this Blades game is is not scratching an, an itch that that has. Yeah, been and I mean, really and truly, if you're looking for an Elder Scrolls experience that is constantly being updated and is kind of staying with the times, then ESO is the place to be for now. Because they even talked about uh, how Bethesda is not going to talk about the next Elder Scrolls at their presentation. So it's like, well, if Bethesda is not even going to talk about it. They're not talking about the two big things that they kind of revealed last year, which was their space thing and and the, that they were going to be working on a new Elder Scrolls. Like, if they're not going to be talking about those things, then yeah, guess guess it's ESO. I'm so glad that yeah. ESO is is doing well. But ESO well is a good them. experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. ESO is a really good experience. So it's a really fun game. Good. So if anyone wants to play, let me know because I'm. So Again. <laughs> she will pay you crowns to play with her. Yeah. <laughs> like she's rolling in it. Yeah. <laughs> you want exactly. a unicorn? You She'll actually... buy a unicorn. Yeah, you can <laughs> I bought a unicorn. <laughs> oh well, I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> there was this like golden armored unicorn mount, and I was like, uh <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> of course. It might as well have had Jocelyn printed across the back end, like <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it, that was definitely one of the things that I bought with my <laughs> crowns today. In duplicates. But yeah, um, the other thing that I did today is I spent a little bit more time in Yoshi's Crafted World, and I st- I am so glad that I bought this game because hmm. it's a lot of fun. And I mean, it has all the normal Yoshi isms, like the butt stomps and the and the sticking out your tongue and eating the little shy guys to make eggs. Like it's got all the the normal Yoshi stuff, the floaty jump, all of that. But uh, it so I picked the um, hard well air quotes hard. They basically have like a normal Yoshi Nintendo platforming experience in terms of difficulty, and then they have like easy mode to play with your kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm playing on the normal difficulty, and I was surprised because uh, my roommate Matt was um, watching me play a little bit this afternoon, and I was trying to be super completionist. And I was trying to just, you know, get all the flowers right off the get go. I'm like, these are the early episodes or these are the early um, levels levels. So, you know, it'll be easy, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't literally I ran through the same level like four times and with me playing and like trying to find it and with Matt sitting next to me watching and trying to find it like we could not find the last red coin. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I literally can't find this thing. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, it's not, um, it doesn't hold your hand and it's not super easy. And there's lots of things to go back and collect. And and if you have that kind of completionist itch, then I think Yoshi would scratch that for you because mm-hmm. it's it's really, really fun. And there are a lot of things to find and there's a lot of things to go back and do and the puzzles are are even at the beginning they are decently challenging and things are really hidden like it's not out in the open really all the time so 
Mm-hmm. It like, does involve a little bit of like a sharp eye and and some some puzzle solving thinking. Yeah, I've I've been playing more with you know Caden and Abby and and they're more of a, a passive experience, especially Abby. She just watches yeah. the, the the flashing colors, the colors. And, yeah. and wonders where Zuma is. Uh, I, I keep <laughs> saying Zuma is not a character in Yoshi. Come on, pay attention. That's Poochie. Get your dog straight. Uh, but then I give in and I'm like, no, no, no. All the dogs are Zuma. Fine. Um, but with Caden, he, I don't know if Keo does this when he's playing with you, but like Caden, you get to the end and if you miss a flower, he's like, daddy, you missed two flowers. We got to go <laughs> back in there again. Like, come on. No flower left behind, he says. Yep. And, um, and then I say, does to him, he actually say that? No flower left behind? <laughs> no, he doesn't. But wouldn't that be cute? Um, that would be adorable. he just kind of repeats the fact that we need to go back in there again. And that I yeah. missed, I asked him, well, how many flowers did we get? count how many flowers we got and he's all worried about how many flowers we didn't get so (laughs) you know and i try to explain to him well you know daddy really doesn't have time to go back in and find 20 red coins that sounds like a lot of work uh (laughs) but you know what teach the kid to find red coins and i guess you'll feed him for a week is that saying i don't think it's something like that yeah something like that so uh but yeah no i you're right those red coins are quite well hidden in early levels you're kind of thinking like well as long as i touch every coin i'll be fine but then near the end those you keep some of them are invisible they're they're invisible they're hidden behind bushes yep uh i got i gotta say though they really take the crafted world with these yoshi games they've been doing they had the the woolly world and now they have the crafted world woolly world they they really took that aesthetic and applied it to everything everything looked hand knitted and then in this everything looks handcrafted even to the point where when the world's flipped and you go back in to find the poochies after you've finished the world it shows you the flip side and you see that this is a crafted world in the sense that someone has made this 2d scrolling world but they didn't like cover the backsides because why would you cover the backsides of like a milk carton where on the front yeah. you've drawn like a or, tree. Or like you can see all the, the pieces of tape and stuff. And yeah. the, the little stands that are holding up the bushes and things. Yeah. I noticed that too. It's which really is, It's cool. a really cool touch. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because as I was going through and, you know, playing through this crafted world, all of a sudden we got into a part that had a milk carton and, and Keo just goes, is that a milk carton? I was like, yeah, the whole idea is that this is all made up of like household items. And so then he was like trying to spot what everything was made of. He's like, ah, it's a shoebox. I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really neat. And, and and again, this is a type of game. And I don't think this is just, you know, my, my love of Nintendo speaking, but this is the one of those games that like truly could only be made by Nintendo. Like, I don't think there's anything else like this out there maybe the closest that comes to this that's not a nintendo game is the uh the unravel series you Mm. know uh with the yarny kind of thing where it's kind of like that zoomed in approach but it's still not handcrafted it's more just well you're a yarn dude of um of little big planet which i think i said both of them do crafted and woolly world have reminded me of little big planet which is a good thing it's a good thing and and again you know i stand corrected like i think little big planet is probably the the best nintendo game probably aesthetic wise not made by nintendo um yeah. <laughs> and i mean did they do a little big planet for ps4 i think they are they did very early on i, I remember. don't remember it was little big planet yeah. 3 maybe i don't know Anyways, i'm not sure i'm yeah. sure someone could tell us <laughs> someone will figure it out and then mm-hmm. they probably won't say anything because little big planets hasn't come out in a very long time uh <laughs> but yoshi's crafted world is really 
really neat like how far are you did you progress do you find the first gem i'm still in this first world because i've just been yeah no i'm i'm still i'm still in the first world because i like i said i went back and played that same level like four times looking for that last stupid red coin before i would move on i never did find it eventually i was just like okay i've played this level too many times i want to go and see the next thing so (laughs) Mm. yeah no i'm still i am still in the first world because i keep going back and doing them over and over yeah, and there's like, you know, interstitials where you do a level and there's a level where you play as like a, a robot Yoshi where you're kind of like stomping through town. Uh, Caden was a big fan of that. And <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun, kind of like the way they switch things up. Some levels have trains. There was like some, there was a minecart level where you had to like push minecarts and solve puzzles that way. So that was really neat. So they I really liked the level that yeah and it's the thing that i like too is it wasn't just like they have kind of visual themes from one level to another but they aren't necessarily mechanically all the same like even within the first world each level has kind of had different mechanics and what i really noticed and and liked in the level that sticks out in my head is the level where it's kind of like leaves that are all wrapped up that you have to push and then they unfurl mm-hmm. to make pathways. Like ribbons. I, I liked that. Yeah, kind of like ribbons. Yeah, they were they were really cool. And I liked the aesthetic of that level. So Yoshi's Crafted World, I think, is awesome. And anyone who has any interest at all in the Yoshi games or in just platformers in general and has a Switch, this is 100% worth it to pick up. This is I've had a ton of fun in it so far. It's light and fluffy, which is nice. Yeah. Because a lot of games that come out these days are either you know, bite size or just immense experiences. And I think this is a nice middle ground where you're getting that light and fluffy, but it's also like, it's a meaty game from what I've played so far. Yeah, there's, there's a lot lots of replayability. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. good. I wanted to remind everybody that if you like the show, you guys can go over to patreon.com slash the gamers in to support us. We are currently looking for our April patrons. So if you'd like to be thanked on the show, please again, go over to patreon.com slash the gamers in that brings us to our topic of the week this week. So we are talking about Anthem. There was Mm, a article, a gigantic article (laughs) put out (laughs) on Kotaku about essentially what happened to Anthem in its development and, it's kind of like an inside investigative look into the world of Bioware. And I've got to say, I was not really surprised by a whole lot of stuff that was written in this article about, you know, how Bioware worked on the development of Anthem and everything that was happening. Because to be honest, I feel like I read all of this, what, two years ago when Andromeda came out. It, a lot of it sounds very, very similar to mm-hmm. And, and funny enough, I think Kotaku had done a really big deep dive on Andromeda's development soon after it came crashing down after release. And there's a lot of tidbits in here that kind of back up sort of some of the things they were saying with Andromeda about the Anthem team and how that project was being treated internally in comparison to the Montreal game. And um, the whole article it is basically a seven-year chronicling of how it how it happened and how it how it went wrong and again I, I, I very similar i was having a sense of deja vu when they were explaining that the game came together in the last 18 months and it's like where did mm-hmm. i last read that oh yeah pretty much word for word when they talked about andromeda like you said and well and apparently they have something they call bioware magic which seems to be the internal buzzword that they use to describe 
games coming together at the last minute because one thing that really struck me was apparently that's exactly the same thing that happened with Dragon Age Inquisition except for it had the opposite effect. So where Andromeda and Anthem lopped flat on their faces, Inquisition won Game of the Year. Mm -hmm. So then it made Bioware think like, oh, this is okay. The way to develop games is to just do what we did with Inquisition, which is have a general idea, but kind of keep spitballing things around and seeing what works and what doesn't. And basically not making any concrete decisions until it's, you know, they have a deadline literally bearing down on them and they've got, you know, a year to really put something out there. Well, the interesting difference between Inquisition and Andromeda and Anthem is that Inquisition had characters it had and characters that you knew some new characters and some old characters but a familiar world as well Mm -hmm. you know and and i think it really benefited i loved inquisition there were problems with inquisition uh the it was kind of clunky in the way it was controlled and when you were riding a horse it felt like you were driving a a tank around you know bringing it back to the frostbite engine issues but at the end of the day the characters were there and the world was there and you were familiar with it. And Andromeda had a familiar world and you knew it was connected to Mass Effect just through the lens flares, flares and the music. But <laughs> the characters weren't there. The alien races w- were there for the most part, but the characters weren't there. And mm-hmm. and the story wasn't there as well. The story was lacking too. But then you get Anthem and it's a completely new IP, a completely new experience. So you really have nothing to latch on to. You're, it's all new, and that's where it falls flat in this like like very short, very condensed experience. And and you read this article, and you're kind of like, well, there you go. That's the reason they didn't really nail down a concept until a couple weeks before that June 2017 demo they did. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, they even yeah. changed the name right up before that demo. Like the name was different, and even the uh, internal demo that they gave to. I guess the uh, head of oh shoot, what's the I'm it's the guys that made the Frostbite engine. Yeah, Dice. Um, Dice. I was gonna say Vice, and I'm like that's not right. Vice. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he uh, like basically the demo that they gave to the higher ups. They were like, this is terrible, and we hate it. And they had you know a few weeks to to turn the game into something different and fun and even that was you know as i think they said a lot of the e3 demos are is they're very on rails they're very um specifically built like they're not running a version of the game they're running a very specific section of a part of the game Mm -hmm. to show it off at e3 because they don't want to show all the you know potentially buggy not working pieces Mm -hmm. so it's a very on rails demo experience and dude was like oh yeah this is super fun like make this game and they were like okay i guess we have a direction now and that was you know 16 months before the game was supposed to come out and it seemed like they had a lot of people with a lot of big ideas who then weren't necessarily making set in stone decisions to then guide the development process Mm -hmm. so it seemed like well they talked specifically about flying in the game and how they like put it in and took it out and put it in and took it out. And every time they would put it back in, they'd have to change the terrain of the world to reflect the fact that you could fly and even just distances between things to make travel times feel like they should. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly changing 
the world and the quests and everything else. And then so the narrative team then has to, you know, put stuff in and take stuff out over and over and over again, which yeah. then leads to things like characters or story beats or quests not making it into the final game, but still being referenced in other quests or yeah. still being referenced in voice work and, and things like that. So it just, it seems like it was just a total mess of a development cycle, really. There's yeah. there's nothing really to call it other than a hot mess. <laughs> well, the, the, lack, the lack of a managerial sort of vision... Like when you have yeah. when you have a game that's changed game directors two or three times, and you're in development, you're in pre pre production for five years, and you're in development for a total of seven years. And I'm I've never made a game, but I've launched projects, I've worked on projects, I've worked on projects that you know suffer from stuff like this. And mm -hmm. this is a, like they get it across the line, they get it out there, and they wipe their brow. And they're like, oh my god, we we did it, we did it. And then and then in this day and age, you have to deal with the with the reactions of the press and of uh you know gamers and just anyone in general who who wants to read an article and it's tough uh but it's even tougher when when you read this article and you realize like there are people who are who are suffering from something they call the bioware magic like it's essentially a code word like a a buzz positive word for for crunch time and yeah. this is this conversation about crunch time it's been crunch has been around for a very very long time uh, it's not new. It's not exclusive to the gaming industry. I don't even think it's exclusive to the to the software engineering industry. Oh God, not at all. Yeah. You just talk about crunch time, even with like school projects and yeah. stuff. It's very yeah. It's it's not exclusive to gaming at all. No, and that's kind of the the bigger issue here is the conditions in which the developers are expected to work. And there's been tons of other people who have said, you know take Anthem out, take Bioware out and replace my company name and my game name. And this is exactly what it's like working at my company too. So it seems to be an industry-wide issue. And mm. I would say it's not even just an industry-wide issue. I think this happens across all different industries. I think yeah. it's kind of just the the way the Western world does work now, which is, you know, you have... 80 hours of work to do and you're given 40 hours to do it and you're expected to work your evenings and your weekends and your everything and put all of you into your work and that just is the expectation mm -hmm. it's not like so if you aren't working weekends if you aren't working your evenings if you aren't just all consumed with work you're seen as you know lazy or procrastinating or you know, insert word here, and you even have the, you know, your job could be in jeopardy. And it's like, yeah, we pay you for 40 hours, but the expectation is you give us 80. Like, yeah. why, why are you not working your weekends? Why are you not doing more, working more, you know, insert here? It's a problem across just all of the Western working world. But I think there's really, obviously, we're gamers, we pay attention to specifically game industry news. Mm -hmm. And this is shining a spotlight on the gaming industry and game development, but I think it's a problem across the board. Right. And it's funny. I just realized where I'm getting another sense of deja vu is like six months ago, we had this exact conversation about crunch when rockstar was in the limelight for yeah. red dead redemption two. And I, I think like I wouldn't, I don't know the answer to this. I think if, if developers want to address you know the the mental uh, health issues of crunch and you know forcing people to work and get paid less uh, and they look you look at unionization like that will 
like if they unionize and they put more power into the you know developers which, and the employees, which I think is important, I think as gamers and consumers, we need to be prepared to back up you know these statements with the fact that we're going to either have to accept smaller projects or mm-hmm. more expensive games. Um, well, and that's that was the point that I was going to make is mm. that basically what this comes down to is the way that you make game development a more uh, a safe career, really, because I mean, a lot of these people are talking about, you know, extreme mental health issues and the and the health consequences of stress and mm. everything else that they've been dealing with in these crazy crunch times. So if you want to actually alleviate some of this crunch and alleviate some of the stress on your team and to put out better products basically what that comes down to is hire more people. If you have 80 hours worth of work, you hire two people, not one. Mm -hmm. But that means that you need bigger teams. That means that bigger teams cost more money. So then as consumers, exactly, Ryan, you're right. Then we have to be aware that that's going to either cost us more money in the short term in terms of a more expensive sticker price on a game, or this is when we get into things like the... um, uh, Middle Earth, the uh, what was it? Shadows of Shadow of Mordor thing hmm. with the loot box. Yeah, yeah. Other monetization options. Other monetization options that yeah. happen alongside a quote unquote normal game price. So if our normal game price is let's call it seventy bucks, then you know you're going to have to spend another thirty or forty on top of that, and like all of us are going to have to spend that or some sort of distribution between, you know, everyone's heard the term whales. So the people who, you know, they spend $300 so that I can spend zero. But, you know, it needs to work out to be 100 to $120 a game per person yeah. in order to actually have good game development. Um, oh, my God. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm so stumbling like, over all my words tonight. Like a conditions. Si- yeah, conditions. Yeah. Game development conditions. Like good working conditions. Yeah, it's going to cost money. Exactly. And I and you're right. It's going to cost money. And I know you and I are being realist and, and giving the two examples of, you know, uh, hire more people, have more monetization uh, options, smaller smaller games made in, in shorter periods of time that are that are safer periods of time. But there's also the other option that I don't think any company would ever consider because that's just not the way the world works is, you know, you don't give executives giant million dollar bonuses. Um, you you look at what happened with Nintendo when they were going through a rough time. This is an example that comes up. It came up when Blizzard did cuts. It yeah. came up when EA did cuts just recently. You know, uh, Satoru Iwata, he took uh, a pay cut as well as the other directors did. I think their salary was cut in half. You know, so they wouldn't have to let anybody go. And that at that time, that would have been, you know, peak R&D for the Switch, uh, right? With with the Wii U having a a bit of a a dip there. And by a bit, I mean a lot. So, (laughs) yeah, can something dip if it never went up in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Wii U was one of those things that was just like, okay, we're just, it's a scene. I think, and that's another option. That is an option, you know, companies can look at. It's never going to happen. Well, but even then, I mean, even then, and I know that there's a lot of, and I don't, I don't 100%, like, I am not a business person. Mm. I am not an investor person. I don't understand 100% of, like, how, how liquid, like, valuations of stock options and things like that are, because a lot of that, well, a lot of that usually is made up when people talk about CEO salaries. They Mm -hmm. say things like, Oh yeah, his salary is 1.5 million, but he actually gets 15 million a year because of 
benefits, stock options, blah, 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 whatever else other stuff that I don't understand. What I understand is a $1.5 million salary. That is how much his paycheck is made out for. That is liquid money that they could pay that they could play with. And I guess my point is as much as you can say, like, don't pay CEOs $15 million a year. Like, I don't know how much of that is liquid, but like, even if you took it, like paid him a million dollars a year, I don't know, whatever's reasonable, like that other 14 million is probably not going to be enough when you look at the grand scheme of a budget of a video game and all of those developers that it would cost to do that. And maybe it's enough money, maybe it's not enough money. I don't know. Again, not an economist. So, but I just think that like the, that's a part of it, but the monetization of games and the price of games is part of it too. Mm. And if you expect to get a hundred hours of video game time out of the game, then is $70. So less than a dollar an hour. Is that really a fair price for your entertainment? I'm going to say probably no. I go to a two hour movie, which I feel like the, the price of a movie is kind of a really good standard for Mm me because if I go to a movie and it costs me $13 for two hours, it's like that's six, seven bucks an hour. So my video game, if I get a hundred hours out of it, like yeah, you're walking that away could be smiling. a six or seven. Yeah, that could be a six or seven hundred dollar game if I use movies as my like standard price mm-hmm. of how much I expect to pay for an hour of entertainment. So I think we as much as a video game with a seventy dollar price tag feels expensive, is expensive, is something that you have to really budget for. I think that maybe we just need to realize that if we're getting 100 hours of entertainment out of $70, that's an insanely good ratio. And maybe that experience actually is worth more. And we expecting more for less is actually part of this game development working conditions problem. Yeah, no, I I think it I think taking, you know, responsibility for the issue comes on all sides. I think it has to yeah. be, you know, the gamers, it has to be the developers, it has to be the owners and executives of these companies and large publishers. Like, it's not, ju- there's no one solution, because if there's one solution, there's only one one party that suffers, you know. Um, if if the solution is to charge more up front to the gamer, then guess what? The gamers are the people that pay. Um, and that's not, you know, you, you don't really want to put all the burden on your customer. And... And then, you know, the other side of the thing is if you look at, you know, this article and then you look at what happened where you, the uh, the author, I think Jason Schreier, he reached out to Bioware and said, hey, I'm publishing this article. Here are the bullet points of what we're going to cover. I've talked to staff. I'm keeping them anonymous. Um, do you have any comments? And they, and they didn't respond. But then as soon as Jason published this on Kotaku, Bioware posted a response, which basically boiled down a public response. Which mm-hmm. kind of boiled down to me saying like, hey, we don't believe in the press attacking, you know, developers. This is wrong. Um, it kind of came off a little like defensive uh, and mm-hmm. kind of we didn't well, read yeah, this article vibe. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like they definitely didn't read the article because for me, like the the Bioware response I thought was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came off as dismissive and it came off as you're right as if they didn't even read the article, which I'm sure that they didn't. Well, they're, so, they're basically attacking the press, which is like not a great book of school you want to pull from right now. Like not it's just not advisable to do the whole attack yeah. the press thing. Like that's, that's the last thing you should be doing. 
I, I don't understand yeah. why people would even go that route because it just it draws so many comparisons that I don't think you want to be in that company. You probably don't. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I think that like the Bioware response, they basically said, we think that this article is wrong and never should have been written because we don't believe that devs personally, should be personally attacked, which if you actually read the article, there's nothing in there that's saying at any point in time, this specific person was responsible for the failure of Anthem or mm-hmm. was responsible for misleading the dev team or sending them down the wrong path or anything like that. The article basically uses uh, game directors' names to give you some context and give you some timelines. Like, nowhere in there is there any sort of, um, like, bullying directed at any of the game directors. It's just like, at this point in time, this person was in charge, and then here's things that were happening, and then that person left, and then this new person came in. It wasn't necessarily saying, you know, game director A said xyz that then caused this terrible thing to happen and this other person to lose their job or they were incompetent or anything it was just like this is this section of time under this person then there was another section of time under this person Mm -hmm. then there was another section of time under a third person and it's like if anything it's just pointing out that this game was passed around to many different directors and therefore there were so many different visions that it just ended up being a nightmare it's nothing to do with saying any one of them was responsible for it. Like yeah. I didn't see any personal attack in the Kotaku article cool. at all, which again makes Bioware look, I think, even worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm curious just as a comparison, and and maybe I'm wrong here, and certainly correct me if I am. But like, if Steven Spielberg is a director, he is a director. That's not the question. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> he makes a bad movie. Let's say right. big or BFG or whatever that the big F and giant that one that he made. Um, <laughs> I it, thought some people liked that. One. I I don't know. I, I I never saw it, so I'm part of the problem. But I heard it was bad. Okay, so, all right. So okay. I didn't see Fair it. Fair enough. I didn't. I heard it was bad, so I didn't see it. They some could say, oh, they're personally attacking Spielberg, but no. As critics, they can say like, hey, not as great as ET. Go back to the drawing <laughs> board. I don't know. I heard some people complaining about the other one he did, the Ready Player One, like it's a similar to me it's similar like if you're you're using a person's name who's in the public sphere sphere you know as as a director of a game or a movie and you're part of a discussion this person is the director he's not completely responsible for the project but he is a figurehead but he he made yeah he made some decisions and yeah so i think it's very similar in that sense where they're not singling people out who oh this programmer who worked on the mo like when you look at andromeda some people not jason schreier but some people on reddit were like finding out this person did the mocap they were in charge mm-hmm. let's attack them on twitter and yeah, i and i think that's maybe different. that's where bioware may be getting their backup and that they maybe last year they dealt with that with andromeda and they're kind of thinking that's what might happen here but this is not at all the same thing this is mm-hmm. using a person who is in a public i, I mean maybe it's not position. a public position a uh, director of a video game they do wheel them out at conferences so therefore they're yep. they're public speaking people right like it's not like they're stuck in an office coding they are out on e3 stages saying welcome to anthem you know it's uh yeah it's a whole different ball game than than it was a decade ago, right? These are public, uh, sometimes public speaking type folks. So, yeah, public facing, public, I think, is is the the term you're looking for. <laughs> no, 
coining a new one public speaking folks everybody start <laughs> start the trends um fair enough but, but yeah, yeah overall i just i think the bioware response came off as very tone deaf and very defensive without actually ha- i i feel like if they'd just taken a, a half a day and read the article and then crafted something it would have uh, gone a little bit further but um There was another uh, internal email that was sent that obviously Kotaku got their hands on because, I mean, they must must have known, right, that this was going to get out to the press because when you've got, you know, I think he said he had 19 different sources for the original article. Like, clearly those are going to be people who, if there is some sort of internal memo, they're going to leak it because they've already been talking to the press. So, um, anyway, so I think that this was sent out knowing that it was going to get out to the press, which it did. But um, the point is that it basically addressed the issues around specifically the working conditions and the idea of the Bioware magic and the idea of, you know, employees going on stress leave and everything else. And they were saying, you know, this is something we take seriously and we're going to address and, and everything else. And I'm glad that they're saying that, but I'll believe it when I see it, I guess, is where I, my head's kind of at right mm-hmm. now. And I mean, after anthem and andromeda like because this a lot of people were saying i know we were saying with andromeda like oh this is ea they totally screwed up bioware like oh the blah 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 blah. this is all ea's fault ea's the big bad and everything else but i mean this kotaku article really highlighted that no like this was not ea's influence this Mm. is just like bioware just dropped the ball over and over and over again Mm and tried to recapture that Dragon Age, Inquisition, oh my god, crunch time magic with two projects, and it doesn't work. It's not a viable development style. So I think that I am going to be extraordinarily hesitant to go anywhere near anything from Bioware in the future. Like, they're going to have to launch something really freaking good that you know like a whole bunch of my gamer friends say you actually have to try this this is you know back to you know mass effect 2 standards sort Mm. of thing uh before i'll go anywhere near their stuff again because man like this is not a company i really want to support this is not a company i'm gonna be burned by again (laughs) yeah i already kept anthem at, at arm's length because of andromeda and i'm glad that i did I don't, Ryan, I feel like you are the most uh, understanding and forgiving and free with your money gamer that no. I have ever known. So, like, if Bioware puts something out two or three years down the line, are you going to touch it with a 10 foot pole? Well, first, I want to preface the fact that Anthem was purchased at half price due to. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, but you know what I mean? Like, just saying that aloud. You just, you are so. I don't, I don't have dispo- I don't like the- a large amount of disposable income to be like, oh yeah, Bioware game. No, I know. Let's do this. <laughs> that's uh, that's it, not what I meant. I no, just I meant like you are just. It, it's. Like I find the fun. I think me. Pull me twice. Shame on me. Pull me one, three <laughs> times. Shame on me. Like you just never learn. I I'm trying to think of another example where I have learned. Um, <laughs> Sonic games, maybe. I think I finally learned on Sonic games. Yeah. Um, and but that even yeah that took me quite a while uh but i think with bioware yeah though the next project that they've already announced which is uh dragon age 4 i think i think i'm at a point where yeah i think if it's a great game i have no problem spending full price on it and but i have to wait until it, it 
releases. I was going to say, but yeah, the key is, are you going to like wait and see on it or are you going to pre-order? No, I think knowing like, unless some, like the Anthem deal probably should have been a red flag in the sense that when a game usually goes on for half price three months before launch, that's a red flag. You know, that's someone trying to alleviate extra stock that they know they're going to have sitting around trying to get their pre-orders up, right? I think with with future Bioware games and the fact that they're still under the EA umbrella, I think it's a safe bet to look at EA uh, EA Access Prime or Premier or whatever and look at that as a viable option to play the game at launch without spending a bunch of money. Um, and then there are other perks to having that subscription, like other games that are in the vault. So, yeah, I think that this is this is the last one. Like Anthem is the last like sort of sight unseen. Let's do this. The Bioware name. You know, I need to see Bioware, like they even reference in the internal email, like looking at, you know, talking about a significant post-production period for Anthem. And they know they're heading into a let's make this game great, you know. Um, will that happen? I have no idea. But no, I'm not I'm not blindly buying Bioware games anymore. It's just, it's I kind of, I wish that they, because you're right, they did talk about, you know, how now that it's out, games as a service, and we have to make it better, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, that's another kind of development, and I I don't want to get into it right now, because obviously, like, we're we're already kind of over on time, Mm. and and we've almost, you know, beat a dead horse at this point. But um, that's another thing that I don't really want to support. And as much as I think that Sea of Thieves last year did a really good job of, you know, like putting out a lot of content, putting it out for free, getting the game to where it should have been. That's another thing that it kind of seems like companies are doing now where it's no longer, you know, okay, we have a, an April 4th launch date and then we launch our game on April 4th and then, you know, it's playable on April 4th. That's our game. It's now like, okay, we have an April 4th launch date. It might be a good game by Christmas. And it's like, well, that's that's not actually okay. Well, you know, like if you need the extra six or eight months, then just take the extra six or eight months. Like, just make the game the way it's supposed to be made. Well, that goes back to the point of like, in order to fix this problem, someone has to suffer, and that's a, that's another example we didn't come up with, which was releasing a game in a this is where we got it to polish it up, get it out the door. We'll keep adding to it, and it, now it's suddenly like free updates for six months, but it's really just getting the game to where we wanted it to be. And in the article, Anthem, they said, you know, Bioware asked, like, can we please get six more months? And they said, no, like, the latest you can delay it is during this fiscal. So that was an EA decision, but as a parent company, you're kind of like, you guys got to shit or get off the pot. It's been seven years, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's another thing. Like, again, the big EA monster, I really don't blame a parent company for saying, when they've given a development team seven years to put something together... And they're like, we just need another six months. It's like, well, no, come on, guys. Like, you were supposed to put it out. We've already delayed it another quarter for you. Like, get it out this fiscal. That, to me, is perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And, like, again, the the problem and the blame, I think, lies with Bioware in this case, not EA. Yeah. Which I never, I literally never thought that sentence would come out of my mouth, by the way. <laughs> well, this is the thing. In in the article, like, I mean, not to seem like we're beating up on, on Bioware, but, like, it's important that Bioware realizes this issue as well as other companies realize this issue. Because as long as Jason keeps publishing these articles where he's treating sources fairly and he's getting their stories out there, people are going to talk to him. And as you said, there are other companies that have the, these exact same practices. And 
this is just this is a great way for the industry to learn and to address these serious concerns that that may have been created just by the fact that games have changed so much over the last yeah. console generation the last decade so well, that's a, that's this is good. that's a really good point too is that you know like Hello. the game oh. <laughs> i don't remember talking to you i'm buying an android just kidding <laughs> But yeah, like the the games industry itself, uh, games themselves, all of it has evolved so far so fast mm-hmm. that you know the the development teams behind it, it's like the the business behind it hasn't evolved fa- as fast as the games themselves, right? So yeah. they're still dealing with old development team sizes and and old practices when the experiences that they're creating are a hundred times larger than they used to be so yeah i would like to i think it's it's growing pains almost it it is it would be really interesting to hear from some ubisoft teams because again like i think that company has been able to deliver on large polished games using their network of studios where they have people working in france and montreal and vancouver uh, and in Spain and all over the world, you know, working together on a single game. So it would be interesting to see if they have similar issues um, or have they nailed that sort of networking feel of having mm-hmm. multiple satellite studios working on the same game. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there's... I, it, in every in every place around the world, no matter the, the, the workplace or the subject matter, there's always going to be people suffering from crunch or, you know, mental health issues. Like, it's just... It, it is the world we live in, um, but it's, this article made it sound like it was it was much much worse than than what is sadly considered considered normal. the norm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So, if you guys have any thoughts or comments on this Bioware issue, on the release of Anthem and the kind of state of their workforce, please do let us know. Give us your feedback. Send in all of your questions. You can do that by joining our Discord. That's bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also email the show at info at gamersinpodcast.com. You can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Plays, Ryan is at our Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. The video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash The Gamers In and are available after the fact over on Twitch. Thanks for staying at The Gamers In. And remember, tune in next week.